Hello and welcome to episode 27 of season two of the Two Hands on the Hurl podcast. I'm your host this week, TJ Mills, and I'm joined by the one and only legend that's Robbie Mansfield. How's things, Robbie? Oh, very good, TJ. Yourself? All, uh, all good with you? Yeah, I know, flying it now. Um, I won't lie, I'm in better form than I was last week. <laughs> yeah, I got over uh, your hangover. Yeah, I know, the Irish Open took over. I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't have drinking maybe half of what I used to drink, but it actually really took it out of me. So, but that's enough of my whinging and moaning now. So, maybe a cheap day for someone. So, <laughs> I, I've been honest, I won't lie to you. I wouldn't be too disappointed if that was all uh, I could do, but I have an awful feeling it was just I didn't drink in a long time. Now, I yeah. record like training, training. You have to kind of work your kind of do your training points and then work your way up to like your big sessions and, you know. Exactly. Exactly. I I think it was just a matter as I was out of training with it, but uh, I won't complain because of a Saturday there used to be too much spent. So I won't give, I won't give out. Uh, Did you have a good week, Robbie? Uh, Yeah, good. Just very busy kind of uh, doing a bit of physio for games and clients and just kind of juggling stuff, you know, so uh, trying to fit in like all the, all the sports stuff where we can. So uh, it was a busy week of sport and a busy weekend as well. Oh, cool. Fair play. Um, was You're involved with a hurling team. Is that right, right Robbie? Yeah, yeah. I am with uh, Mulnahone doing their physio stuff. So uh, yeah, it's a good crack actually. Um, it's good to see like the indoctrination of uh, the young kids at all these hurling games that are like, you know, the ball kind of goes a foot over the line and it's meant to be going to the other team, but all the young lads, like seven and eight, are screaming for the, the team that they support, you know. So it's it's just, it's really kind of a, a cool thing to see almost. Aha, fair play. Yeah, I know. I was going to say you straight over the border, but um, I, I was going to think it it wouldn't be too bad, actually. Um, I know, it's close enough, close enough to, to cook any there, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, anyway, when we're on about hurling there, we move on to the <coughs> GEA results over the weekend and there are some important hurling games took place. Uh, you could say it was the preliminary round of the qualifiers in the hurling championship, but also served as a relegation final as well to see who'd uh, stay up in the Lee McCarthy for 2022. Uh, Leash defeated Antrim 2-27-2-21. Good win for Leash there, Robbie. Yeah, just watching it and uh, yeah, Leash curled very well and uh, they took their kind of goal chance as well. Um, although this kind of second goal for Leash was kind of a turnover uh, that Antrim gave up. Uh, so to be disappointed with that. Uh, Antrim as well, they kind of hung in there. They were, they were kind of down after Leash got the goal just before half time, but they kind of battled away for most of the second half and they got a couple of goals themselves. And, you know, it was kind of swinging. They had the momentum and then... Uh, Leash kind of got the goal at the crucial point and um, they were able to kind of see it out from there. Um, but kind of controversial enough with the um, the penalty decision as well. Kind of similar thing to, to last weekend with um, in the Clare Tip game. There was, seemed to be a lot of men back uh, for Leash and uh, the ref gave a penalty and, and a sin bin as well. So, you know, there wasn't really much Ferrari about it because maybe it was Leash and Antrim playing uh, and people were maybe concentrated on the Euros and Wimbledon and different stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it seemed like another kind of bad call there. Yeah, I was watching it. Um, as everyone knows, Fathers from Leash, so I'd have a 
bit for graph for Leash Hurling. Um, Kilkenny comes first, but then Leash should be definitely second. And watching it, yeah, I, I'm, I remember we had a, well, I had a rant a few weeks ago, sorry, about um, the kind of the messing up that's been made trying to introduce rules into the Hurling Championship. And there's two incidents in two weeks. And I remember saying at the time, come the championship, this could be critical. Like, and if you think about it, Leash were down to 13 uh, for long stages there with um, Downey getting the sin bin for that. So it can kind of show how important these decisions could be. You wouldn't want to see the likes of this in a, an all earned hurling semi-final or an all earned final because, um, I mean, you're at the real business end and a relegation a battle for the Liam McCarthy's important as well. Um, do you think it'd be something that the GEA will have to review, Robbie? The relegation. Um, uh, I think... Oh no, sorry. The the penalties. The the because the past two over the past two weeks, worn kind of clear goal scoring chances. Well, not in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I think the the Antrim one was even less of a clear opportunity, to be honest. So, yeah, I think it's it's. Like have me even just kind of have a word with the with the referees and just get clarity on it, you know. And I suppose like for the rest referees, if they're following the rules they're given, you know, you can't really blame them that much. But it doesn't really seem like they're they're given it for really uh, clear goal scoring opportunities, you know. So, um, you know, if there was more of a clear cut decision like you have in soccer, you know, you have your last one back, and if if it's a bad tackle, it's a red, like you know. Everyone like once that happens, everyone knows it's very clear as to as to if it's going to be a red or not. Um, so probably providing the referees with a bit of clarity will go a long way. I'd say. Yeah, I know. I'd agree completely with you. And I mean, one thing. Well, personally, myself, and I'm speaking about it. I I won't blame the referee, and I know an awful lot of pundits are blaming the referee and the standard refereeing. But when you have one person and they only have one look at it, there are no VAR or TMO or anything like that. I think the GAA have to look at something when they're enforcing rules that, that could be as vitally important as the past two weekends. Um, we move on to the Joe McDonough Cup, Robbie. Westmeath defeated Kildare and qualified. Sorry, they, yeah, they did defeat Kildare by a point to qualify for the Joe McDonough final. And Meath defeated Kerry. But Kerry progressed through because they had a better goal difference. How important do you think it is for the likes of Westmeath and Kerry to get to the Joe McDonough Cup with a chance of going plainly McCarthy next year? Yeah, it's brilliant. They're, you know, I suppose like people in those country counties would uh like Hurling people would consider them to be Hurling counties, but traditionally they're not. And you know, kind of Kerry have really come from nowhere to a certain degree over the last few years and uh you know, it would be kind of brilliant for any of these teams to make it up um, into the, the top tier championship. Um, and as well, it, you know, I know Antrim got relegated and they kind of, they're they're feeling sad about that and they want to be up playing the best teams and they, they feel like that will improve them. Uh, but the Joe McDonough does seem to be working to some degree to bring to bring teams on. They're playing each other and they're playing good standards of games and competitive games and that keeps lads interested and stuff like that. And, you know, Antrim are going down, Bush, they're going to be one of the favourites to come back up, you know, so that will hopefully yeah. keep lads interested in playing hurling for Antrim, whereas if they had went out for a couple of years in a row and got hammered, 
you know, a lot of lads will be saying here, you know, I'm not going to be starting all this again, you know, in January or whatever, doing the long drives and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's great for these counties. And the more, you know, football, you know, we might be talking about in a bit, football seems to be pretty dead at the minute. It seems to be kind of dying a slow death. And Hurling is, you know, really kicking on and great action. And even these games, you know, Joe McDonough and the the relegation game between uh, Leash and Antrim are providing far more entertainment, you know. So the more we can do to grow Hurling, you know, the better. Yeah, just before we move on to the football, Robbie, just one quick question on the point you made there. Do you think the GA will have to look at maybe allowing the Joe McDonough Cup champions to stay up maybe for a couple of years or something like that, that you don't have a revolving door as Antrim are after suffering? Yeah, um, or you could even have, I think they have it in the Eritrea League, the Irish Soccer League, where, or they used to have it anyway, where the team that's getting promoted uh, plays the team getting relegated so yeah. then you know there's like an extra game if you know what I mean so that might be a little bit more kind of a final sort of thing so that might be a fairer way to do the promotion and relegation sort of thing because you know you might have a team like the Westmead uh, carrier or whatever who could win the Joe McDonough but they might might necessarily be Antrim you know the way so and if they're not winning that game you could argue, are they deserving to go up into the into the All Ireland series? Um, yeah, I think the you know the Joe McDonough is kind of serving a good purpose. Um, I would prefer to see like uh, maybe like a kind of a two conferences or two different divisions, and uh, these teams play each other uh, over the course of the year, and you go into like a playoff sort of a situation. Um, you know, maybe play the provincial championships uh, separate because the Leinster title and the Munster title still mean a lot. But your Connacht title and Ulster title, well, there's no Connacht title, you know, Galway are just the best team. And I don't think they even play the Ulster championship anymore. So, you know, I'd prefer them to move to maybe a different system that will still be bringing on the the Antrims and the Westmeads and, and the Kerrys of this world. Um, but yeah, it is working to to a point at the minute. Yeah, I know definitely I can't disagree with you. Um, one thing I just kind of playing devil's advocate, I think to be blue murder if you introduce kind of a promotion relegation for the Joe McDonough and the per- teams. But I mean, they have to be something. And I think the suggestion you made there would be the fairer way than getting automatically relegated straight away from Deline McCarthy. Um, move on to the football championship we mentioned there, and football's dying a slow death. And the results in Munster, um, Cork defeated Limerick 116 to 11 points. Kerry easily defeated Tipperary, reigning Munster champions 119 to 18. And in Dulster Championship, Tyrone were too strong for Cavan 118 to 13 points. Um, just looking at those nearly easy victories for all teams there, Robbie, uh, even though the Cork-Limerick one was close for long stages. Yeah, and there's just no excitement about it. You know, like the, the Donegal-Derry game and Ulster football in general, Ulster Championship in general, is kind of booking the trend uh, across Ireland, if you know what I mean. Um, but for how long, to a certain degree, you'd, you'd wonder how that's going to, how long... It's going to be as strong. Um, yeah, like in Connacht, you have your, like, I know you have Ross Common as well in there, but really it's 
Roscommon and Galway, but really it's kind of Mayo are the dominant force there and have won a lot of All-Irelands. And, you know, even you've got Cork and Munster, but Kerry are winning a lot of them. And, like, what does a Leinster title to mean to Dublin footballers at the minute? You know, it doesn't probably mean a lot. Um, you know, you could still keep, like, a provincial structure as a separate thing and then have, like, a two-tiered or maybe, like, a group a group stage for your All-Ireland series and the, the kind of have groups of four bottom two teams of of each group go into a different competition. Top two teams go into Sam Maguire. Um, so then you're kind of, you're, you're having the kind of the weaker counties as it were playing the stronger counties so they can improve. Um, but there's also a hope of them winning a competition, which will, you know, at the end of the day, we want to keep guys, keep young lads playing. Uh, we want like young kids to be looking at their team playing in competitive games and saying, I want to do that someday because it's a competitive marketplace for, for all the different sports. Um, so the more, the more we can keep lads playing and young lads interested in playing, uh, the better, I think. Yeah, I know. I'd agree completely. And just going down through the other um, football results from yesterday afternoon, um, Mayo easily defeated Leitrim and I don't I don't like saying easily defeated but the game was well over after about 20 minutes as a contest uh, 5 22 11 points I think Ulster football are kind of keeping the football championship alive Donegal just edged out uh, Derry 16 points to 15 Um, just looking just what you were saying just taking going back to what you were saying there the, I think the lowest losing margin in a lot of the football championship games was about 12, 13 points this year. Westmeath defeated Leash by 16. Um, you saw what Mayo done to Sligo and all of that. It, will football be dying a slow death if the GA don't make? Now, I know there's a special Congress call for later in the year and they're looking at and so, some sort of system, maybe a second tier or something like that. My question, Robbie, before I waffle on too much, will introducing a second tier championship keep football alive? Because you're still going to have the the Sam Maguire teams and then whatever they're going to call the second tier of the championship. You're still going to have an inequity there that may be greater than, say, the Joe McDonough and Deline McCarthy. Yeah, um, but I think though if you look at the league where teams of the same standard play each other, there's some of the best games. You know, you have cracking games in the league. You know, even you know Division Four games, which you would consider to be a lower standard than Division One, obviously because they're in the different division. Um, like the games against each other are great to watch. You know, way right? and yeah, you know, at a certain point, whether you're watching a junior match or a senior match or an intermediate match or whatever across the country. If it's a competitive game, it's great to watch. You know, it's you know, it's thrilling. You know, the skill level might be a little bit less, but it's great to watch. And um, it, having teams play, you know, obviously play bigger teams as well to kind of bring them on. But to playing teams of the same level, um, that's that's really going to kind of drive people back to kind of watching football and talking about football and being really you know interested in football I know like living in Kilkenny you're kind of almost in a hurling kind of bubble as well to a certain degree um yeah but you know I grew up loving football and watching great games and you know you don't want it to be a foregone conclusion until like you know semi-final final time you want competitive games all the way through like you had you know in the in the Leinster championship in 90s and uh early early 2000s and that sort of thing and you know Ulster being competitive and 
you know, bringing on the kind of lesser teams as well and just having real competitive games is really what everyone wants to see. Yeah, I know, definitely. I can't disagree with it. And even though being born and bred in Kilkenny, I enjoyed playing football more. I won't lie to you, I really loved football. Um, maybe it was the calibre of players that I was playing with in hurling. I mean, they were, they were all stars on teams I played on, so I just never had a chance. I won't lie to you. <laughs> um, just be, yeah, I know it's legends. And yeah, I had to say here. Uh, and I was able to hold my own in football, so maybe. It, maybe it was the right decision. Um, just before we move on from GA, Robbie, there were all earned finals took place the weekend. Actually, I go with the the minor football um results. Uh, Derry are playing Kerry in the minor football championship next weekend. Derry defeated Meath one fourteen to one seven, and Kerry defeated Ross Common three twenty one to two thirteen. So sets up Derry against Kerry, and I think that'll be a cracking contest. Um, then there's an under, uh, sorry, the minor all earned, sorry, the minor all earned hurling championship final took place on Saturday in Port Leash. Galway defeated Kilkenny 117 to 114 with a late goal in injury time. And to be fair, can't take anything away from Galway there, even though it's bitterly disappointing for Kilkenny. Um, and under 20 all earned hurling championship took place as well on Saturday, 219 to 118, where Cork defeated Dublin. Um, that was Cork's first first title in twenty year, Robbie. But it has to be bitterly disappointing for Dublin. Yeah, and that's their was their third final in a row for for Cork. So things are going well uh, in Cork, which is great to see for for hurling. Um, yeah, like with any Dublin team, what you'll always get with them is they'll always battle hard and they'll always give a hundred percent and they'll fight for every ball and then make it difficult. They'll make it physical, and that's what the the under twenties team did. Uh, like Cork seemed to be a bit slicker and finding the scores a little bit easier when they kind of got in front of uh, in front of goal in the first half, and they kind of developed a bit of a gap there. Um, but Dublin hung in there; they kind of battled for every ball, and uh, like Cork were battling for every ball as well, which kind of kept them just that little bit ahead. And Dublin got it down; I think it was could have been four points. They kind of got it down to. And then Cork got a goal at a crucial time and that just really knocked the stuffing out of Dublin at that at that point. And they did battle on, but it kind of seemed like it was going to be Cork's day from there. They weren't going to let it slip from there. Um, yeah, so like Dublin Hurling is, is in a good place. Uh, obviously playing in the senior Leinster final and we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> local bragging rights there on that one. Um, yeah, like they, they battled hard. They gave 100%. Um, just Cork just a little bit slicker, got the goals at the right time and um, you know, deserve a champions overall, really. Yeah, is it a surprise that, I mean, they last won the senior All-Ireland All in 2005. Is it a surprise that that's the first title for Cork in so long? I mean, a really proud county and I mean, the rivalry they would have had against Kilkenny. I mean, that would have been their first, actually, is 22-year um, since they claimed the it would have been dulled under 21. Would this be kind of a good baseline for Cork to progress on? They had a good league campaign at senior, seemed to wane off when it came to the Munster Championship. Uh, Limerick proved too strong last weekend. Do you think this could be a start to something? The Rebels are back? Yeah, definitely. Like You, you just need to convert these guys over to senior, obviously. Um, but yeah, like you've seen with the kind of Limerick team that we have at the minute, 
uh, Limerick senior team that was that was built on a foundation of underage structures and you know you have your the Kerry team the Kerry minors who won five minor titles in a row and you see the the fruits of that into the Kerry senior team now so like sometimes what happens with counties is they can't they get very big and they just um they rely on the there's going to be guys coming through talented guys coming through and then the the palette the talent pool dries up and then they're in a bad situation so then they, they need to reinvest into their youth structure and it takes time for that to develop but it seems to be paying off in spades for cork and they could be the the team to watch in a couple of years yeah i know well i won't i won't lie i hope it isn't but um, for competitiveness, I know I'm joking. I mean, you want to see a really competitive and the games that Kilkenny would have had in, against Cork in the early 2000s were phenomenal and then Kilkenny and Tip. So it'd be great to see those where you go into a game and you just don't know who will win. Um, yeah, we move on from the GEA, Robbie. And the next topic is um, our old friend from the US of A. Uh, Trump is soon Facebook, Twitter and Google. Former president yeah. suing social media. That's not good. Uh, yeah, well, you know, does he have a case though? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think it was always going to come to this point where he doesn't have a voice to talk to his people. You know, 70 million people vote for him in the US. So he does have a following there. So he won. I think he tried to create his own social media platform and it didn't work out. So after that happened, he was always going to turn the legal route and um, go after go after Twitter and Facebook and Google. Uh, it would be kind of interesting to see where this goes, though, um, because if Trump loses, is it a case that Facebook and Google and Twitter, you know, if they're they're able to silence the you know president or former president of the United States, like who else would they you know? Who else would they not be able to silence? You know what I mean? And is that creating a kind of a a worrying dynamic out there if there's like, you know, these big tech companies that you know, and like I'm not saying I agree with Trump or anything like that. You know, for me it just might be you know, I think freedom of speech is important and this could be a very, you know, critical case going forward for media and social media as a whole. Yeah, I know you're after making really valid points there, Robbie. I won't lie to you. Um, I just think it's sad. I won't lie to you. You had the most powerful man in the world suing social media. Um, I, I won't lie to you. I would never stand up for social media companies, even though I use them, the same as yourself and all of that. But I just think they had no option. I mean, when you see the riots that were created and, I mean, the racial racial abuse that's after happening because of comments that were made. I mean, um, like there are comments being made that um, for people of different races, it was the toughest it was for them in a really long time. And to give someone as powerful as that, that has so many supporters, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. And I think I, I, I just, don't think social media companies had any other choice. I mean, the riots at the Capitol building, and it was all incited by speech made. Like, yeah, um, but what about say the leaders of Hamas? Now, I'm not pro, you know, Palestine or Israel or anything. It just has a point that, you know, they would say on Twitter that they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, or you know, 
the I think is the leader of Iran has a Twitter account as well, and he says quite uh, hateful and threatening stuff to the US and stuff like that. So yeah. should they should they be taken or how come they're allowed to say that stuff, which is like you know implicit uh, incitement to violence and hatred and death? Uh, they're allowed to stay up. Um, oh, shut up, shut up, Robbie. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, I know I'd agree completely with you. And this is where, I mean, it, it sounds funny that I was agreeing with social media. But I mean, if maybe they are a real valid argument here by Trump. And I mean, the, if what you spelt out there could be Trump's case. I mean, you look at we'll be discussing it in a few minutes about uh the Euro 2020 final took place last night and the racial abuse that took place on social media and all of that. I think social media companies have a lot to answer to, but maybe it'll be a situation that they may have to do it now that there can't be any hate speech or there shouldn't be any extremist contents, no matter who it is on any social media channel. But I know it is a real valid point you made made Robbie the, the follow on point from what you're saying though is like who decides what's extreme and what's not and I know like you know in the cold light of day we can all say you know like obviously you know racism all these sort of things that are wrong everyone knows these things are wrong um, but like is it handing a lot of power over to big tech that they can say you know and I'm not saying you know I disagree with any of their opinions at the minute but like what you know we're all kind of happy enough for people to be cancelled and for all these things to happen until maybe it's our own opinion that's being silenced. And then it's like, Oh, you know, what do I do about this? And at that point, maybe is it too late? I I just think it kind of, it opens up a very interesting debate and it's definitely a case I'm going to be watching to see uh, where it goes and all the kind of ins and outs of it. And, um, you know, at a certain point for Trump, you know, it is a bit, you know, you know, sour grapes and, you know, the kind of the the kid who didn't get his way and he's just going to make everything uncomfortable but you know it could be raising quite important issues and you know for freedom of speech and for the control that the media have yeah i know i i'd agree completely and i'm not just saying it um i i honestly do and the the question you asked there about who should be governing i think should be guidelines set by legislators i mean i think governments um are taking the easy way out slightly on it. I mean, some of the content that's put up on social media channels and even messaging platforms, the likes of WhatsApp and something like that. I know freedom of speech is very important, but they are sometimes where freedom of speech has to be kind of uh, governed by law. I won't lie to you. And um, it shouldn't be definitely i mean you look at the financial system with the crash back in 2008 and that the financial system was nearly governed and it, it, it governing themselves and you see the consequences so i'd agree with you i think governments have to grow a pair of balls and face this head on and um i know social media platforms provide a lot of jobs and all of that but they can't be let off the hook either but yeah, I'd agree. I think it'd be a real interesting case to watch now. And I hope their television coverage of it would be, it'd be really deadly now. Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch. Uh, we move on to uh, Conor McGregor. He was defeated on um, Saturday night, early hours of Sunday morning. Um, he 
he broke his ankle now. I won't lie, I only saw um, bits of highlights of the fight he lost to Dustin Portier. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. But um, is this send a Conor McGregor, Robbie? Can he come back from this? Yeah, I know he released a post on social media saying he's out of surgery and, you know, he'll be back. Um, you know, but as you know, like I'm not a huge UFC expert, um, but what I hear and what I read is that it's quite a competitive division. And, yeah. you know, like fighting is a young man's sport. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, in some some sports, you can kind of go on for a long time and extend your career. But, but in UFC, you know, you probably only have a certain shelf life. Um, and he's after losing three of his last five fights. Now he could come out and he could win his next fight and or win his next couple of fights and that sort of thing. But we're definitely coming to the end and there's only going to be a certain more... The, the kind of the longevity of his career will be more determined by the big books. How long is he going to be a draw for? And how long is he going to be keeping people interested? Like he went from being probably one of the most well-known figures in the world at one point where if he said something, it was like all over the news when he was fighting. Maybe that's just living in Ireland. You kind of, you're, you're, you're getting the full on McGregor coverage. Um, yeah. I find it difficult to see it kind of continuing on unless he's moving maybe into the promotion side of it. You know, he's kind of like he has, you know, whatever you might say of his attitude um, towards the guys he's fighting. He is a, he is a big draw and he does, he does bring entertainment and, you know, maybe he can move into be competition for, for Dana White. Maybe they could go toe to toe, maybe with a separate um, fighting thing or he could be a presenter on a tv show or have his own show the mcgregor show or something like that like he definitely has the personality for that um so it's not the end of him you know as being uh, a celebrity and in the news but in terms of his ufc career um no i'm not i'm not probably qualified to write someone's obituary in terms of their ufc career but you know as just a regular punter you could say it, it's definitely you know Nearly crunch time for his. Uh, he probably maybe one or two more fights probably left uh, in him. I'd say. Yeah, I know a very valid points there made there. It's just one thing I would say on it. Is it a situation now? This could be completely a lot of harsh shit. What I'm saying, but is it a situation that fighters like that? And I'm not saying Conor McGregor or anything, but fighters like that because. A fight of a kind of a high profile like that, the main main event, they could earn up to over a hundred million easily, earn with say endorsements and then the television coverage and then the fees for the fight and all of that. Is it a situation that fighters can go on and not give a shit about winning or losing? Yeah, well, like you know, if someone's offering me a whole lot of money to go into a fight, you know, I wouldn't be saying no. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, um. Yeah, like there is a temptation. Um, you you kind of see with a lot of fighters though that they kind of they know when their time has come, and you know if you're kind of getting on in years and you're getting a bit slower, um, and you're not maybe hitting as hard, um, you know, are you putting yourself at risk in the ring as well? And could you be you know, the the injuries do uh, stack up, and you could be end up. Um, you know, if you're not at the top of your game, you could end up with uh, an injury that you have to live with for the rest of your life as well. Um, so, yeah, like I, I, I think at a certain point, um, 
like fighters and the, McGregor has kind of made his money as well. So does he really need to keep going? Um, so that that you can maybe maybe argue that he doesn't need to keep fighting. Just he's not turning out fights just for money because he has a lot of money already. Um, you know, at a certain point, I'm sure every fighter weighs up the odds of what they're going to make versus the long term damage and you know the risk they're putting their health at as well. Yeah, I know that's a valid point. And yeah, I know I won't lie. I wouldn't be an expert on UFC either. I would have watched a few of the early fights and all of that. But when you see one at five o'clock in the morning and it could be over after 15, 20 seconds. Yeah, sometimes it isn't worth staying up for. <laughs> I won't lie to you. But yeah. um, we definitely wish Conor McGregor the best of luck anyway. And um We'll see. We'll see. I say to be some announce, announcement towards the end of the year or early next year anyway. Uh, we move on, Robbie, to the top picks and i let you begin this week. Yeah, um, a series I was watching on Netflix uh, was it last year or the year before, Black Summer. It's a zombie uh, series. Um, now, it's actually a prequel series to... I can't remember the name of it. It's another series that's on Netflix. Um, it's a prequel zombie series anyway. But the kind of the the main series is is garbage anyway because I watched that I watched Black Summer first, um, so that's why I'm, I'm recommending Black Summer. The first series absolutely brilliant, just the way it's shot and you know you'd be kind of hide behind your blankets watching it, and it's it's done really in like um, a really close view. You know you, you can't see all of the frame, and it's really great kind of for you know zombie the zombie genre and the second season i'm in the middle of it now and it's delivering um as much as the first season as well it's really really quality uh series on netflix um so definitely if you're into the zombie genre probably not lean you probably i was actually talking to Liam about it and he was like oh, i don't think i'm gonna watch that um <laughs> so <laughs> but it's definitely if you like zombie stuff and you haven't watched it definitely check it out or definitely get on to season two and that's all I really have for this week. But there is the The Witcher, um, another series I'm kind of waiting for the second series of. That's out in December, and I really love the first series of The Witcher. Like quality, uh, Henry Cavill, the kind of character he plays, he kind of it doesn't really seem that interesting at the first couple of episodes, but grows on you as a character and becomes an absolute legend. Uh, brilliant series as well that's coming out in December I know it's a long way away but I am pumped for that already <laughs> I'll be counting down the days for that as well yeah I know they sound brilliant now and I won't lie to you I listened and I take note of the picks on this but I'm actually useless for following up on it so um, I know they sound actually the zombie one um, I, I'd be really good now Um my picks this week could be one that's on YouTube, Scarred and Ramsey in it, and it's Kitchen Nightmares. Um, I don't know if anyone saw it. It can be on English stations, but it's on YouTube as well. There's a channel there, Kitchen Nightmares, and has all the episodes, full episodes on it. Um, for anyone that doesn't know what it is, is Garden uh, Ramsey is called into restaurants that are struggling, and he tries to bring them around now. They say 90% of it's real. I say it'd be less than that because there's a lot, an awful lot of drama in it and they kind of all take the same pattern that the owner of the restaurant is in denial and gets real kind of confrontational 
and then at the end they're kissing his feet like so but um i know for anyone that would be interested it's it can be a good laugh and interesting as well so that's kitchen nightmares on youtube there's an american version and an english version as well and the second pick this week uh i mentioned it before so i think i mentioned it before but um started rewatching power on netflix again so I won't mention much on it in case I meant, I think I mentioned it on a previous episode, but it's about um, this character called Ghost and his best friend, Tommy, and the way that they, they, they run a drug, a drug ring and um, it covered up with a nightclub they have. And there's kind of um, inside influence in, the DEA as well so it's definitely worth checking out I won't say any more because if I said it already I don't want to repeat um, and the last one Robbie is an album I was listening to during the week from Mike and the Mechanics um, it's featuring a song All I Need is a Miracle and it's on the the album uh, Mike and the Mechanics as well from 1985 and it's just a brilliant track and a brilliant album as well um, one part of it is if you check out video on YouTube, it has a c- comedic actor called Roy Kinnear. Um, for anyone that would have been a fan of English comedies or that back in the 70s and 80s, uh, Roy Kinnear was one of the main actors there. And he unfar- unfortunately passed away, I think, in the mid 90s. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth video checking out and an album album to check out as well. Yeah, sounds good. I actually love Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was one of those shows that, say, like with with my kids or whatever, putting them to bed uh, or putting them for a nap. They're just going to just going to the TV room and put them in their pram and just rock them back and forward. And like it'd be like you know ten or eleven o'clock in the morning, and you just throwing whatever's on TV on just to have a look at whatever. And <clears throat> even though you know, as you're saying, like. Every episode is like essentially the same. <laughs> it's the yeah. same format. <laughs> you know, it kind of goes along the same lines. You know, he shows up, he's horrified, you know, drama ensues, and then they see the light and you know they make over to, to do a great job. Um but it's compulsive viewing, you know. It's just even yeah. though it's the same thing, I just you just can't uh, drag your eyes away from it and the hijinks that uh, Gordon Ramsay gets up to, and he just takes takes no uh, BS off uh, off of anybody. And a lot of it's for the cameras as well, but it's uh, yeah. it's really good. Um, but for anyone who's a aspiring restaurateur, one of the biggest takeaway tips from it is have a small menu, have a yeah. small manageable yeah. menu. <laughs> all of these places, all these kitchen nightmare places, have massive menus, and they 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 have really struggling with stock and food going off. And then they're forced to use food that they're not really happy with. So small menu, you know, keep it simple. And that's, that's my, uh, that's my key advice from uh, Kitchen Nightmares to sum up the whole series, have a small menu. Yeah. Kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. I know. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I know there are some classic ones there, but uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. I think it's on ITV I saw, but um, yeah, it's definitely on YouTube as well. And none of that breaks on it as well. So it'd be good. Uh, We move on, Robbie. And last week we're asking, is football coming home? But it's gone to Rome. Um, Italy defeated England uh, after extra time and penalties, 3-2 on penalties. Um, was it, it sorry, was it thoroughly deserved to Italy? 
Yeah, based on that match, um, like I think England are better than what they showed in the 120 minutes. And I think possibly the scoring of the early goal kind of, it almost worked against them in a way. Because if they had have played for longer at nil-nil, you know, it would have been more of a back and forward battle. But because they scored early, Italy were able to, were seeking another goal. So they dominated the game. They kind of grew into it and were looking for that goal, looking for the edge, and were in the ascendancy. Um, and England, they kind of went into a real defensive. Now, they were defensive in the tournament. Um, but like against a quality team, at one point in the second half, they, Italy had 70% possession, you know, and you can't keep that going. And um, in the end, it was a fortunate enough goal from from Italy that they scored. Um, you know, could have went to bounce around the box, could have went anywhere. Um, yeah, you have to say that England were, or sorry, Italy were the better team on the night and arguably possibly over the whole tournament as well. Um you know, but that, that England team are really good and they're good they're a lot of young players. Um they're gonna be a force to reckon with for a good while. Gareth Southgate's gonna stick with them. You know, there's no reason they couldn't go on and win a World Cup, um, depending on the draw and that sort of stuff. They're they're a real kind of uh knockout competition sort of team, the way they set up. Um they set up not to be beaten. Not like English teams in the past who would have relied on, you know, tearing teams apart and got hit on the break and got done by by smaller teams. Um, you know, they seem to be heading in the right direction, like semi-final at the World Cup, final of the Euros, loss on penalties. Very fortunate for Italy to win. You know, in a, in a shootout, it's a, it's a lottery. Um, about like guys holding their nerves. Um, but, you know, based on last night and obviously the team I wanted to win was Italy, um, so maybe I'm a bit biased, but I think they were the better team uh, overall. Yeah, I won't lie to you. I won't be a hypocrite. And we we chatted a few times that um, when you're supporting the soccer teams, it's only right that you like to see the national team doing well. But seeing some of the incidents that took place before... Um, the game yesterday and then fans storming Wembley as well. Um, I I just I won't lie to you. I'm delighted Italy won. Um, but still it wouldn't be awfully bad if England won either because the likes of what Marcus Rashford is doing away from the soccer field, I think, is phenomenal and it shows a lot of his character that he's able to make the conservative conservative government kind of wake up a bit over there with some of the poverty that's going on um, in areas. But that sidetrack going back to the match, uh, I think Southgate done great work with the English team. I can't take it away, but some of the decisions he made last night I thought was slightly off. Um, they got the goal through Shaw earlier on and they just seemed to sit back. Um, now, I know the goal was in the second minute, England seemed to play away then for about another 15 minutes or so. But then they seemed to get frightened and they just seemed to sit back. And I mean, making the substitutes that he made with two minutes going extra time, uh, bringing on Marcus Rashford and Saka, I think was a mistake. I think if you're, I know the reason he brought him on was to take penalties, but I mean, you know yourself, Robbie, and I don't have to say it being um, a PT and um, physio as well. You, you just wouldn't be properly warmed up. And then looking at it from a sports psychological side, 
to just wouldn't I don't think be in the right frame of mind to take on such responsibility when they only came onto the field. But um, that's just my two cents on it. I think the worst part of it, Robbie, is the racial abuse that's after taking place, not by all supporters, I make that clear, but by a small minority of them um, on the three players that missed penalties. And I genuinely don't think there's a place for it in sport. Do you think there should be some sort of reprimand for it, Robbie? Yeah, um, you know, this is the downside to the, the freedom of speech of social media, like, and it has, you know, like you can message, you know, all these players and this sort of stuff and you can be commenting on their posts and it can get quite personal. And, you know, even like when it's not racial abuse, it can be quite personal and quite hurtful. You know, like racism has no place in in society at all. Um, like, and it's terrible. And these guys are, these are just young chaps, you know, and yeah. They're being, you know, berated um, for the color of their skin and you know, missing penalties as well, which is you know, like no one goes into a penalty shootout to miss a penalty. Um, and it's the massive, massive pressure. Like you have Jorginho there, um, regular penalty taker for Chelsea, and he scores. I think he has like incredible stats on penalties and he missed a penalty. So yeah, it, it just goes to show you that in that moment, it can happen to anyone. Um, so abusing people for you know trying to do their best and putting their best foot forward is is disgraceful enough. But when it's it kind of turns into racism as well, you know. And there's probably elements out there that were were happy that these guys missed because it furthers their agenda of racism, you know. So you know it's very sad. Um, you know racism it should be called out and it should be prosecuted in my view. Uh, there's no place for it in society. And I just hope that these guys, you know, it doesn't get to them. <laughs> it's easy for me to say, but hopefully they have a good support network and they're, they get through the situation. Um, you know, cause it's a very, very, very tough situation for these guys, you know, young guys um, being watched around the world by millions. Very, very sad for them really. Yeah, I know I'd agree completely. And um I heard comments made today and I honestly hope they're wrong that with um Rashford and Sancho, um uh, Sancho transferred to Man United, I think, and there are talks that they could be booed at the start of the Premier League season and then Saka, he's only nineteen. I mean, Jesus, he's only nineteen and um playing for Arsenal. So I honestly hope um they get the respect they deserve because they got to the final and for the first time in what 55 year and that they got to a major final I think the players deserve some respect uh, just before we move on Robbie um, Roy Keane made comments last night um, and were targeted as Sterling and Grealish in other words saying why did they not step up I mean they're highly experienced players playing for Big clubs, a lot of experience behind them. Should they step and hop instead of the young players that did? Do you agree with Roy um, or was he wrong? Uh, well, I know Grealish anyway has um, come out and said that he put his name forward for a penalty. So, you know, I'm not sure about Sterling. Yeah, like it, like the manager, I'm sure he's like, okay, he's backing on his guys to score. Um 
yeah, like it is a lot of pressure for a 19 year old kid, like you know. Um, I seen Mbappe missed earlier in the tournament. He's like, he, although he's achieved a lot, he's still a young man. Like, um, I suppose there is the kind of thought process in football: if you're good enough, you're old enough to to play and to take these things as well. Um, yeah, like I know Grealish has said he stepped up. I'm not sure about Sterling. You know, it, it's easy for Keane to say that maybe to a certain degree. Um, I'm sure Southgate is doing his best. He seems like a good manager and to be looking yeah. after guys. And he was he was over there with Saka afterwards and he was giving him all the support he could. Um, like, And the thing is, like in this situation, you're being watched around by the world by millions and it's easy for anybody experienced players to, to shy away and be like, oh no, I don't want the pressure, you know, and um, it's, there was probably, you know, I don't know, maybe possibly times in, uh, when United, when he was playing for United, that they had penalty kicks, um, where members of his team, experienced guys were like, oh, I don't want to take it, or you see some guys and, you know, they might even be, they might might tell the manager beforehand that they, they don't want to take penalties um, and they get taken off or whatever uh, with a few minutes to go as well. Um, yeah, like it's a kind of an easy one to say. You do, you don't know the ins and outs of the situation. You imagine that the older guys should be stepping up to, to spare the younger guys. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always work out that way and it's a really high-pressure situation and... Like realistically, the amount of people that would put their name forward to take a spot kick in a final, being watched by millions, is very, very small. Um, I'm being honest, but that notes. There's not many people that would do it. Yeah, I know. I I can't disagree with you, and I mean, sometimes I won't say he's always trying to be controversial or anything like that, and that might sound a surprise with Roy Keane, but I mean, it is television after all, and they have to kind of create an atmosphere around. So maybe. Maybe some of these comments that are made aren't really meant in a sense, but I mean, who am I to question right, Keen? anyway? Uh, we move on, Robbie, and I stuck it up in the group earlier, and it's a topic we're just going to discuss very quickly. Uh, snakes in the drain. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it before I popped it up into the group, but a 65-year-old man uh, was bitten by a reticulated python in his home in Austria, um, the snake was sent to pinching him in the area of his genitals and Ooh. he was wondering what it was the snake's about 5 foot 1.6 meters and it, it took place in Graz in Austria and the snake was meant to have coming in through the drain it meant to have escaped and I think through an apartment near where he lived and got in through the drains but um yeah, you'd want some balls to sit on the toilet in Graz in Austria. <laughs> Definitely. And he, well, like, I don't know. Hopefully his balls are still intact after that, you know. Um, yeah, like, it's, like you're in a very vulnerable situation there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Definitely be, I'll be looking twice uh, the next time I, uh, I uh, take five minutes to sit in the toilet there. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, you know, how would you how do you guard against that? I suppose you can't really. It's oh it's god, it's crazy. Hopefully, you know, his uh his bits and bobs are intact and functional. because uh, that would you know, it's some story he can tell people now in the future, hopefully. Um yeah, like like hopefully, you know, Saint Patrick he banished all the snakes. So hopefully we don't have to worry about that. 
Uh, there's some two-legged ones in the country, but uh, I won't oh, say too much yeah. about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, just reading here about it, I mean, the man is okay. That's good news. was just minor injuries, so that's great to hear. And we're not making a laugh. It's just something you wouldn't have heard of in Europe that much. I mean, there would have been cases you would have heard in, say, Australia or that where the good thing about it, and I, this may not be kind of a really good point but it was a python that it wouldn't be a poisonous snake the scary thing about it is it was a five foot snake but they can grow up to about 30 feet nine meters but um yeah it's definitely be something you'll be watching out for anyway because um i think we done it on the podcast last year there were a case where i think it was a nine or ten year old boy uh faced a poisonous snake in awfully uh, I think it came in through crates or something, but I remember us discussing it on the podcast last year, but thank God the 65-year-old man's okay. And um, yeah, definitely be looking at the Thailand, the Thailand very, very closer anyway. you Snakes might go down it, but you don't want them coming up it anyway. Um, <laughs> so we move on to the next topic, Robbie, and today is the 12th of July. It's uh, marching season up in the north today, um, where the Orange men uh, celebrate William of Orange, I think. Um, he had a victory in the Battle of the Bine. If my history is right, I stand corrected. And if I am wrong on that, please let me know um, to everyone's listening. So the question no, I have, have Robbie, are we closer to a united Ireland? Are we are are we further away than we ever were to having one? I I just think that a united Ireland is like it's not like a thirty-two county republic. You know, it's not like we have the twenty-six counties now, and we like if there's a united Ireland that the, the other six counties come in and everyone's happy as Larry, and we're all you know singing Ron Avine and you know all this sort of stuff. I think that while you know the communities are quite entrenched, uh, like and some people up the north are just living their lives and not really bothered about. It, but there, for some people, it is you know, it's everyday you know, it's everyday thoughts, and they're really dug in on the process. But I also think that like down here in the south, that I don't know if we if we would be willing to to compromise to the extent that the the loyalist community would like, if you know what I mean. So yeah. if there was a United Ireland, it would look probably more like, you know, like um, Great Britain and Ireland than United Ireland and so on, if you get me. I think, I, I think that a lot of people down here would probably think, oh yeah, it's just the people up the north that would have a problem with this. But I think the compromises that the like would have to be made from the nationalist side would be too big for a lot of people as well. So I think that's a that's a huge factor that a lot of people aren't really considering. Yeah, I know I can't disagree with you. I, I honestly would love a united Ireland, but I understand exactly where you're coming from. The questions that need to be asked is, and I, I listened to a good few debates on it, um, and there's a good bit of talk about it with uh, with the day, way the DUP are after having their own troubles up in Denard to pass while, and they're... Um, I'm going to be very careful in saying this, but they're non 
non-compromising style of politics that they're doing at the moment. Uh, they went against Theresa May's version of Brexit um, and went with, I was going to say Donald Trump, but Boris Johnson's uh, type of Brexit. And Boris Johnson said when he got the deal on Brexit, he said it was the best deal that um, uh, England could have gotten and Northern Ireland. Now, Northern Ireland are kind of getting the best of both worlds because they have access to the European Union um, and they also have access to Great Britain, but they seem to have an issue with the Northern Ireland Protocol. But I'm gone off topic there slightly. For for United Ireland, the taxpayers in Ireland are going to have to be willing to pay for it and it could be upwards of about 20 billion. That's what one economist I can't think of his first name, but it's definitely Fitzgerald is his surname. Um, but he, he is a real expert in economics. And um, I, I, I actually have to look up his first name because I don't think it's very calling someone by their surname. But um, it's going to cost upwards of about 20 billion because unless there's some sort of deal that Westminster will pay some sort of grants or whatever, Irish state will have to pay for. There will also have to be a compromise on the national anthem. Now they are talk about that, uh, but I I like Ireland call Ireland's call. That's for the hockey and the rugby, but an awful lot of people don't. So they're going to have to be a compromise on it that they can't be around Levine. And there's also what's the other one? The flag is going to have to be changed as well. So. Yeah, I'd agree with your point that some nationalists may not be fully behind it because, I mean, they're kind of severe enough compromises to be made. I know it'd be good. It works in the sports context with a different national anthem and a different flag. But when it comes to full political kind of um, governance, will Irish people be supportive of it? Yeah, I I don't think so. I think a lot of people... For I won't say the majority, but for a lot of people down down in the twenty six counties, if you were to like a lot of people would say, "Oh yeah, I'd like you to see United Ireland," but if you were to actually talk through the points that would have to happen, a lot of them would probably say, "No, I, I don't really want that." You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'd love to see United Ireland as well. I just think that the the like we're not thinking about it in the right way, if you know what I mean. We're thinking yeah. about it as a 32-county republic. We're not thinking about it as a true United Ireland. A true United Ireland is a blend of all the communities and everyone is kind of getting, you know, to a certain degree what they want and making some compromises. Um, so, yeah, I think if we're to be kind of considering this situation going forward, or forward and there's to be like a border poll in a few years that, definitely the conversation needs to be kind of framed in that way rather than being dominated by people saying, Oh yeah, 32 County Republic. Yeah, that's great. I think we need to have a different conversation about it to, to be able to prepare the topics and uh, to talk people through. And so people understand exactly if there is a border poll, exactly what they'll be voting for. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Sorry. It's John Fitzgerald is the economist's name. It's former, uh, Taoiseach Garn Fitzgerald's son and yeah he he's a really knowledgeable man and he was outlining the costs to be roughly about that uh, for a couple of years or maybe spread out over a few years but yeah I, I think the likes of the context of um, 
Chucky Gerlaw or go home, me black and tans after a few points, it's completely different. And they are, they are divides that need to be mended. And the talks of, say, the likes of a border pole when things are so divisive up at the north at the moment, I don't think it'd be great. But you never know in the next few years. I mean, uh, with the way opinion polls are going, it looks like Sinn Féin will maybe form part of the next government. And there may be a push for the likes of a border poll. And I'm not saying I'm against it or anything, but um, the last thing you want is real divisiveness but they have to be a compromise really made on both sides and and there's just one party at the moment that'll be in the discussions that don't seem to be willing to compromise being honest and they seem to be a real divisiveness there and um i think until the likes of the dup get their own house in order i mean they had three leaders in the space of about three months so i think they have to get their own house in order and then see if some compromises can be made but I honestly don't think it will happen but I hope I'm wrong and there will be a, some sort of United Ireland in the next well in our lifetime anyway Robbie and uh, yeah. maybe maybe a start could be and this could be complete bullshit as well but the likes of a United Ireland soccer team and yeah. by, by listening to it was the head of the Northern Ireland Supporters Club, I think. He was on the radio after Ireland suffered some bad defeats a couple of months ago. And he was saying the only time this topic ever comes up is when Ireland are going bad. So when you have the head of Supporters Club saying that, I don't think there will be any. And to be fair, watching the documentary on the United Ireland soccer team, it seemed to have been the blame seemed to be on the FAI's feet. So there could be a bit of humble yeah. pie has to be eaten before that had happened. I see uh, John Delaney was at the at Wembley yesterday, or is it, see the picture going around of him at Wembley? <laughs> the, you were going on about uh, the champagne football for a good bit, you know, but <laughs> yeah. probably a lot of damage done under his uh, tenure as well. Yeah, I know it's it's unbelievable, and yeah, I definitely recommend it's an audio book as well. So if you're out for a walk or in the gym or whatever, you can listen to it that way, or even in the car. But it's also a brilliant book as well. Um, trying to think of the author's name, I think Smart Toy, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out. But yeah, I saw that picture and I just thought to myself, it would take Delaney to wiggle his way in there. <laughs> I mean, it really would. <laughs> Um, yeah. he's actually working as a consultant in the, in England, I think I heard. But um, oh, the poor company. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are Kilkenny connections there. But um, yeah, yeah. The actually, just before we move on, did you see the FAI made a profit last year? What did they? <laughs> yeah, I think it was about one point two million. But um, yeah, no the. The people involved that went in there, I can't think of their name, but I know Niall Quinn was involved and there was a man out, I think Davy Stockbrokers are one of the stockbroking companies uh, went in there. And to be honest, to be able to turn around and make a profit, I think it was around 1.2 million. But um, yeah, no, it's good anyway. But I think it'd be a topic we'd be discussing in years to come, Robbie, again about a United Ireland, but we leave it at that for today. Uh, we move on to the World Sports Roundup, and I'll let you take the lead on this one. Uh, yeah, just um, just great win for Djokovic. 
uh, yesterday in the men's um, in the men's Wimbledon. Um, he's on course to win the Grand Slam of or the Grand Great. I'm not sure what the Mega Slam or something. It's like winning all, holding all the Grand Slam tournaments in a calendar year, uh, and he's going to the Olympics as well. Yeah. So I, I heard a thing on the radio about it. if he wins the the four Grand Slams in the calendar year, he'd be the first man to do it since 1979. And if he does that and wins the the Olympic medal, I think he'll be the first uh, man to ever do that, I think. I think Steffi Graf did it in 1988. Now I could be wrong on that. And um, yeah, he's just a supreme winner, Djokovic. He's I think, drawn level with Federer and Nadal as well. And um since 2010 or 2014, he's only been beaten by Nadal and one other guy. So he definitely seems to have, in, in the final, I mean, so he definitely seems to have that, you know, when he gets to a final, he is like more than likely going to win, unless it's like a French Open, which uh, Nadal wins the whole time. So that's probably his biggest challenge for the for the Mega Slam. Um, yeah, so that was kind of interesting kind of to watch. He was against a guy who was in his first final, Um he won the he won the first set, which was surprising enough for him to even do that. So um, yeah, he was always going to lose maybe to Djokovic. Um, so I was just watching a bit of that. I didn't get to see any of the ladies one on on Saturday, um, but I think the, the the woman she won it she was Australian as far as I know, and she um, she used to play in the doubles team or something like that. That's all I know about that. Sorry, <laughs> but um, for the NBA, it's the NBA finals and. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks are—they were down two 0 in the series against the Phoenix Suns, and they came back and they—they they had their—they had two games in Phoenix. They lost those two games and they went back to Milwaukee uh, last night and they won. So it's two one, and they have another game to go in Milwaukee before they go back to Phoenix. So if they can get the series level at two two, it's going to be—it could be uh, a seven game series. Um, and Giannis, the Milwaukee Bucks best player, he was injured. He got injured in the last series. He hyperextended his knee, and he came back and he's he scored forty points in the last two games with um, double digit uh, rebounds. And he's the only he's in great company on that. I think it's only LeBron James and Shaquille O'Neal who've managed to do that in back to back NBA Finals games. So it's a short list of guys. Um, that he's on now, so fair play to him. And I have got a bit of a sweet or a bit of a soft spot for the Bucks as well. So hopefully they can turn it around and win it as well. Yeah, I oh know definitely. And uh, it sounds some exciting games there. And um yeah, I know we definitely I will definitely check that out. Um yeah, my picks this week, um Leona Maguire was taking place in the Highland Meadow or sorry. It was the Marathon Classic in the Highland Meadows Golf Club and she finished in the top 20 at, um, sorry, nine under par. She was 10 shots off of the lead. But, I mean, she's just having a phenomenal year. Other golf news, um, the Scottish Open took place um, in the last week and Minhu Lee of Australia won it after a playoff over Thomas Dietrich and Fitzpatrick of Great Britain. Uh, bested Irish there was Parry Carrington at 11 under. He was only, sorry, seven shots off at lead, so it was a fantastic um, weekend for the Ryder Cup captain. Uh, other news, the British Open is taking place this weekend, the defending champion. He's actually one of the longest defending champions because the British Open didn't 
take place last year, Shane Lowry of Offaly. And looking at the form he was in in Main Julid, he, he was up and down. But if he plays like he did in the final round, I think he has a great chance. And uh, the Irish have great success in the British Open, Parry Carrington winning it uh, twice in a row. So hopefully Shane Lowry can do it as well. Um, other news, Alan Wynne-Jones could make a remarkable return to the lines. Um, he got injured. I'm trying to think of the first game. Was it against Japan? Um, yeah. The Lions captain. So yeah, he could make he could make a, a return to the Lions team. He's doing. He's actually training with the Welsh team. I heard. So there's questions if Warren Gatlin will call him back up again. Uh, to be a disappointment there for Connor Murray if he does come back because it'd be a difficult decision there for Gatland whether he takes the it is Connor Murray yeah sorry yeah. I was saying myself there uh, whether he takes the captaincy away from Connor Murray but I think Alan Wynne Jones would be a big boost there and there's actually uh, kind of questions over the lines whether it will go ahead and um, they had to play the Sharks again last Saturday and it was kind of a pointless game. But with the coronavirus case that's um, that's going through the South African squad, there are serious questions whether that will go ahead. Uh, but yeah, that's the my sports roundup for this week. And yeah, I won't lie, I'm really looking forward to the British Open uh, this weekend. And hopefully, as I say, Shane Lowry can come through. So before I waffle on anymore, Robbie, we go to the high ball. Oh, the high ball. High ball. Um, So the high ball this week is, did you hear Richard Branson um, went space? Uh, Finally, after many years of uh, the development of a rocket to go up. So he, as everyone knows, um, Richard Branson is a, a, a billionaire. So my question, Robbie, is if you're rich enough, would you travel to space? Um, I think I would. Um, now I have heard that the Richard Branson uh, flight is it's only like a dead just the minimum, yeah, the bare minimum of space. Um, there's some sort of line, the Carmen line, I think it's called, and it's like a hundred kilometers up. And once you go over that, um, you're above the Carmen line or something like that. But it's very much like. Not like space, space, I suppose, you know, but yeah. you know, even still, like if you're up in a plane, it is pretty cool in a regular plane, just looking down at the earth, you know. So, I would probably, if I was a celebrity, I would probably wouldn't be buying the first few flights, I'd probably be waiting until there was a few more. <laughs> um, I heard a guy describing uh Richard Bla- Branson's uh plane as basically um a bomb that you can fly. Um, if okay. anything goes wrong, if anything goes wrong, it is, you know, it's good night. There's, there's no coming back. It's just like, <laughs> it seems quite risky to be honest. And uh, Jeff, Jeff Bezos or Bezos, he was, he's going to be, or he was going up as well. They're saying his aircraft was a little bit safer. And, you know, is it kind of worrying that all these billionaires are looking for ways to get off the planet? Do they know something that we don't? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it, it might sound funny what you said there, but it's a valid point because if you look at it, Bill Gates was meant to have doing a talk, was it about 10 years ago or maybe less, about uh, a virus that mm-hmm. we're in danger of a serious virus coming about. 
and you look at what we're after going through over the past um past couple of years so you never know i mean there's always danger of asteroids or something like that and um with the likes of global warming and something like that you never know what could be down the line but yeah i won't lie to you i don't think I don't think I'd do it. I won't lie to you. I just thought of a pun there, but it might sound terrible. Uh, Branson was a space virgin. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. No. <laughs> uh, so it was Virgin Space Airlines. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Jeff Bezos, the interesting thing is I just came across it actually for a radio show that I'd done a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Jeff Bezos is bringing up an 82-year-old woman with him. And um, she was part, I'm trying to get, I think, for Wally Funk's her name. Um, and she was part of the Mercury 13 team in 1960-61 that was meant to travel to space. But she's not going because uh, at the time, uh, her they wouldn't allow her to go because of her gender. So I think it'd be great for the likes of her to go up with Jeff Bezos because she trained and everything. And I know her age may be slightly against her, but you could imagine the memories that that will create for her. But going back to the question I asked, if I had that much money, I Jesus, yeah, I don't think I would. I mean, um, but I suppose you have yachts, big houses, I mean, Richard Branson, Virgin Airlines, television, um, mobile phone company. Not really much more they can do, is it? I suppose it's the only thing they're kind of saying to themselves here to say current and all of that. We go to space, like, I mean, it's... Yeah, maybe... it could be a bit of advertising thing going on, kind of trying to put themselves into the, the public eye and, you know, everyone, like, obviously they're getting lots of coverage where you've been talking about it as well, so... They're getting lots of coverage around the world, lots of promotion. Um, so it is that if it, that is their goal, it is working. Um, interesting thing on the radio um, I was listening to today, they were talking about the International Space Station and that the International Space Station is the size of Crow Park. And I didn't, even, didn't know it was that big. Um, travels 12 kilometers per second or something. But, you know, Jesus. is it possible that... In time, we could all be, you know, living off world, off up in space, you know, it could be like a Futurama type scenario where maybe we're not living on a different planet or living on a moon or something like that. Um, but we could be living in a, in a space station potentially. Yeah, no, I mean, there are ethical questions around that as well. And I don't mean to turn it into a negative, but it, if it did come to a situation where we did have to evacuate the planet. You never know if an asteroid was coming or whatever. You never know what could be down the line. I mean, you look at what happened to the dinosaurs. Things <clears throat> happen. Things go around like a revolving door. So maybe. But I think the way it is, well, speaking for myself personally, if it was the situation where we had to evacuate the planet, I think I'd be dying here on Earth. And it's not for the one to not go on. I just don't think um, an ordinary person would be brought. I won't lie to you. And now maybe I'm wrong on that, but... Um, Probably not. The one thing I'd be thinking is, yeah, because I'm ginger, you know, we are a limited enough sort of species. You know, so <laughs> for a bit of, you know, biodiversity, they could be 
uh, you know, there's more of a chance, say, like, you know, with your hair color, there's a lot more people with your hair color. So, you know, I think there's like 3% of people are ginger. So, you know, I know they probably wouldn't take me, but there's a bit more of a chance just based on, you know, if they wanted to know, like a Noah's Ark situation where they wanted to know a bit, bit of uh, diversity, you know. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed for me anyway. Yeah, I oh know, definitely. And yeah, I'd agree. And one thing I noticed today that absolutely frightened the shit out of me, I won't lie to you, is I'm after noticing my hair is thinning. Uh, so yeah, maybe it could be a situation if it came to that, I might have no hair at all. So, uh, well, join the club, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I just noticed it there now. Um, so, well, I did just cut it a while ago, so maybe that. But I was actually just thinking when you were mentioning about the ginger and I'm not um, slagging or anything far from it, but straight away popped into my head a fight between you and Bernard O'Shea to see who'd go. Yeah. You know, eh, he's quite a funny guy, you know, yeah, but um, could you really be listening to him? You know, I'd be nice and quiet, you know, I'd, be, I'd just chill out and just, you know, I think yeah, he could be he could be a bit annoying and, and great on people. So, yeah, hopefully, and if it came to a fight, you know, I know he's a leash man, proud leash man, um, you know, but, you know, if he wants to, you know, throw down, we could do uh, like a, a Jake Paul, you know, YouTube uh, sort of uh, fight if you wanted to do that. Yeah, I know. I, I know Bern. Um, uh, actually, it was I had a few points with Bernard in Kilkenny during Cat's Laughs one time and realised that my father and him used to know each other. Father was a gamekeeper on an estate and uh, his father was a guard. So uh, he used to kind of drive around to say for the father to watch out for poachers or anything like that. So, yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, I, I won't lie if it came to a fight and I'm not just saying it between you and Bernard, I think you'd have the slight or not slight advantage, you'd have the full advantage there. Um, because I definitely want to wouldn't want to face you in a fight anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a compliment, so <laughs> oh no, definitely, definitely. Uh anyway, uh I think I'm after waffling enough for this week and fair play to you for having the patience put up again. Uh, so for episode 27 i think we leave it at that robbie it was a pleasure as usual and um, yeah i really enjoyed great it so yeah, great chats good fun uh, i know um actually i think it'll be the anniversary of the jack charlton episode that you guys said now i wasn't on that episode um it was one of the first episodes i think i listened to actually um before i got into the podcast so just uh still going strong and we are hopefully <laughs> yeah i never noticed that and yeah that that episode is actually really still going well and it's it's really funny and i won't lie to you before we finish and i i just can't get over the support we're getting on the podcast um and uh to be fair the work you're doing on instagram and everything's amazing and thanks a million to everyone uh, for linking in and yeah hopefully we'll be talking in maybe 10 years time on about um well hopefully we might be going to space because the podcast might take off <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah i know it's actually strange um it was brendan grace's anniversary yesterday as well and the one thing that always pops into my head about brendan grace um the time he died unfortunately was father came out of hospital the same day so it's actually gas where 
you can kind of place memories with um, certain events as well. But anyway, I'm after waffling enough. It was a pleasure, Robbie, and thanks a million again. And if anyone wants to contact us, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Two Hands on the Hurl Podcast. And until next week, be safe and good. Talk to you, Rob. Thanks a million. Good, good luck to you, John. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck.